0: Today's episode is such a good word. Brandy shares so powerfully and vulnerably from her story, and how she is using her journey of reclaiming her theology to empower others to do the same. Also, I reference the late and lamented college humor and one of their sketches that will never cease to make me laugh loudly, and rediscover just how much I am obsessed with memes, gifs, and other internet culture. One of the things that is so important about the work that Brandy is doing in her campus ministry, podcasting, and other activism, is that she is giving language and a platform for marginalized people who are working to see the church liberated from the harms of colorism, white supremacy, and injustice. Hers is a community focus, which is a needed corrective to our westernized, individualistic mindset. And yet, she is not advocating for ignoring our own walks with Jesus, Rather, she is helping us to reclaim the truth that our individual journeys must be walked out in community. I hope you feel encouraged by this community here at the Multiethnic Table. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Mixed Blessing Podcast. I'm Chandra Crane, and today we're breaking bread at the Multiethnic Table with Brandy Miller. So pull up a chair and get comfy. Pour yourself some iced tea, maybe, some coffee. Let's have a conversation, friends. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Multi-Ethnic Table. I'm so excited today to have Brandy Miller as our guest and as my conversation partner. Brandy is a ministry leader. She's been in ministry for almost 10 years now, fighting the good fight. She is based out of Seattle and she is the host of the Reclaiming My Theology podcast, which I highly recommend you give a listen to. The episode I got to listen to most recently was her interview with Brandy Woodley, and it was powerful and encouraging and such a blessing to my heart. Welcome, Brandy. I'm so excited to have you here as also a coworker and a friend and as someone that I really appreciate your perspective, both online and in the ways we've been able to connect in person. Thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So
0: I would love for you to be able to tell us your ethnic story, especially as a mixed Black woman. I want to hear about the healthy ways that you're able to push into your Black identity to be in that solidarity posture with the African diaspora, um, to push into issues of justice. Tell us some about your heritage and your story.
1: I identify generally as biracial. Um, Even like the language of mixed is still... um new for me and still something that I'm wrestling with. But sometimes I identify as a biracial white and black woman. Most of the time I just identify as black. Um, And so that stems from probably my, my personal experience growing up as the only black person in a white family. I was born out of an affair. And so I was raised in rural white suburbs of Oregon. And so a lot of my racialization or ethnic identity development or deformation really happened in those contexts where to be Black was to be other, to be less than. And because I was surrounded by white people all the time, it was much easier in that capacity to identify as close to white as I was able to. But as I grew up and started to recognize what it means to be phenotypically Black, it became clear to me that it doesn't actually matter how biracial I am though I realized that I experienced some benefits and privileges from being light-skinned, I just realized that the political reality and the social reality that we live in identifies me as Black, and so to push into multiracial identity hasn't made a lot of sense for me politically and socially over the last few years, because I'm always going to be too Black to be white, I'm always going to be too white to be Black-ish, but I think that that conversation in the Black community has changed significantly, and so Black is, black is, black is.
0: Right, right. There's a college humor sketch. <laughs> the how Asian American are you right? And there's this whole nuance, and is a quarter enough, which is powerful to me as my kids are a quarter Thai and then three quarters mm-hmm. white. Uh, but then of course they convene the black group and they're just like, yeah, black, right? Yep. Like, and I love kind of that reclamation, um, as you said, of the one drop rule of no, no, this isn't a negative. This is beautiful. This is a part of your identity. And thank you so much for sharing that and sharing some of the pain of it um, and being honest with us and vulnerable with us in your upbringing and the ways that your heritage came about and how you grew up. Um, That's really honoring to us. So thank you. And I'd love to hear more about the phrase you used. I think it was de-racialization. Would you talk more about that just in terms of now that you are reclaiming your theology what a powerful phrase to say, no, actually I was, it was taken from me and now I am getting it back and it is good and beautiful and, and it is my identity.
1: Well, I think that in the world that we live in currently, especially with the heightened racial dynamics in our world, it is impossible to not know that I am Black. And so I think that there are ways that some of the claiming or owning of my racial identity is... Sure, like a deeper, more or not even deeper, a more kind of I don't even want I don't want to be condescending, but like a kind of an airy fairy, like <laughs> I accept myself, sure, like sure. the stuff I work through in therapy. But a lot of it is just that I can't walk through the world not being black, so why try to do that? And so I think there's lots of ways that white supremacy and white culture have tried to strip kind of the culture of blackness from me in in the midst of my life and For me to have solidarity, one to my own experiences as a Black person embodying a Black body, and to the people who I most want to see liberated and freed in the world, I have to do that kind of reforming work and the associative work and the solidarity work, which often looks like asking, "Okay, I am Black in this way, and there are other people because of how their Blackness is manifest, whether through class or being darker skin that, or their identity." their gender or sexual identity, that those things make it so that I need to be reaching even farther into the margins of Black community to show solidarity and to expand my vision of what it means to be Black because my community is only one representation of what that looks like.
0: That's great. Thank you. That's really helpful, especially as I think about and I have conversations with biracial folks asking those questions of What do we bring to the table? And I think a heart for the marginalized is something we often have, not genetically encoded, but experientially encoded, right? Because we are so used to asking, how am I present in this place in my body? Um, And who is here and who isn't and who deserves to be here and needs to be here? And how can I reach out to them? So thank you. I, I love that. I also love that you brought up this question of mixed. And as we were talking before we started recording, one of the things I was able to do, I hope not in a white centering way or in a dramatic, let me shine your shoes, Brandy, and let me repent of whiteness way, but just in a genuine, how awesome is God of repenting of the ways in which I have not valued the solidarity posture in which I've said, well, if you're really healthy in your multi-ethnicity, you're embracing all of it and you're blended and really being able to say no because of friends and siblings like Brandy, my eyes have been open to the healthiness of that solidarity posture. So, thank you for that and thank you for having this discussion of reclaiming our theology, reclaiming language. And I think that's one of the reasons I love mixed is for me, it embodies that nebulousness, that fluidity, that sense of I get to push against the norm and that's actually exhausting, but it's a gift. And so I love that you are able to, in your own way, say, this is how I identify and this is my story. I think part of the pain that we have as mixed folks sometimes is being expected to be a monolith, which is ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous oh, okay. for any ethnic group, but especially for people of varying ethnicities within our bodies to, to be forced to all be the same can be painful and is obviously the work of white supremacy. It is the work of the world wanting to smooth us out and take off our rough edges and blend us into something boring and creamy and beige but thank you for standing in strength and in solidarity of how you identify. That I think will be encouraging to so many listeners to say, I can push back and I get to define who I am. Can we talk a little bit about grief that (laughs) you've already been so vulnerable? So if you wanna push on into the joy, I want to give you space to do that, but I also want to give you space
1: to lament as much as is beneficial to you. It feels important for me to name as a, Biracial black woman who is whose family of origin is white, I think that that changes the way in which my blackness is formed and framed. Mm-hmm. And because our identities are made up of culture, ethnicity, race, heritage, and all of those things, and we live in a white supremacist culture, that there is actually a disincentive for me to identify in any way with my whiteness. And so I think that the multiracial conversation or the mixed conversation is different for people who are mixed with white because whiteness as like a principality as a mm. concept isn't something that we want to associate with and many of us especially if you are black and mixed may not because of enslavement know what your black heritage is let alone your white heritage because of enslavement and slave culture right. and assault and so i think that there's some natural disconnection that i think ties into the grief piece that is when We are trying to figure out, or I'll speak for myself, when I'm trying to figure out what it means to be me or when I've tried to do that over time, I've run into roadblocks because my dad who is black isn't a person I know and he was adopted. And so the lineage stops really, really early, like a generation and a half to two generations back. And then on my white side, yeah, like we know some of our family of origin stuff, but I actually care far less about that because I'm not trying to reclaim Like an abstracted white culture somewhere else that I would have to deconstruct all the pieces of later. And so I think I have some grief in the disconnection from the history of my Black identity when privilege and power have made it so that my white identity is much more easy to track down and trace. But it's something that I'm far less interested in because I embody it less and experience less of what that means to be me in the day to day.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. What heartbreaking and formative layers for you two. And I mean, you grew up in the Pacific Northwest as well. That's very white. That's very a specific part of of Americana, right? And so, wow, what a lot of nuance in good and bad ways. Um, I, I love that you brought up this idea of how easy it is to to push into whiteness and to talk about white heritage and identity. I think I probably watched too many humorous videos on YouTube, but it also makes me think of the one where it's the DNA test spoof, right? And it's like the white parent is like, yes, and we came from Ireland and et cetera, et cetera. And then it gets to the person of African descent and they're just like, Um, mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I don't wanna take this DNA test unless it's going to tell me about my African heritage, right? And it's probably not because of that sense of enforced slavery, the violence that often bore um, people of mixed descent. So I, again, I just thank you for, for talking about your grief. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the podcast because that is a service to the church. And maybe you could tell us one of the episodes that tied in so strongly to your ethnicity or even just um, something about the podcast that is uh, behind the scenes that would be interesting to listeners and helpful.
1: I think I'll go with that the latter question mm-hmm. mostly because um, as I do work trying to deconstruct and reconstruct faith experiences or reclaim theology particularly in these couple of seasons from white supremacy there is a way in which I'm hearing a lot of people saying I didn't realize that my theology was so white and that that was the part of my theology that I've been internally and intuitively rejecting Mm. for a long time and didn't have words to put to it, which is great. But on the other side, I think that because I've been doing this journey of interrogating whiteness, of interrogating the ways in which white supremacy exists in me and is manifest in my black body, I've been doing that for like almost a decade. And I think that as I bring people on a journey who are really new to it, it feels like that journey needs to happen fast and right away, and that people would be kind of unaffected by it somehow. That if you just intellectualize a new reality, a new theology, a new experience, then you're going to feel better. <laughs> but I think I've been coming to recognize that it is a, I think there's a disservice that I've done in some ways in putting episodes out so fast because some people are like binge listening to the episodes <laughs> and then feeling like they're just deconstructing everything quickly and not having space to do the internal work of like, how does this interact with my own ethnic identity? How does, this decentering whiteness actually helped me to be more fully myself or free me to be something beyond just like evangelical white america especially now in the era of trump and so i just feel like there are all kinds of ways in which the podcast has been an opportunity to help people feel less crazy more free Mm -hmm. and to create a foundation for better identity development and interrogation but i'm also realizing that i think there's a word for folks that is as we explore identity. It might feel like it's something that's so obvious or so inherent that we should just know it and get it. But so much of our life in a white supremacist society is learning to deform or press down or compress our anything that isn't white. And so the work is to both discover ourselves and to discover what about our faith experiences and our theology hasn't worked for us and has taken our lives and has dehumanized us and to say, actually, there is this. This thing that goes hand in hand, my own formation and my critique and interrogation of the thing that has impacted my formation. And so I think there's been a lot of benefit to that. And I'm also just like, everybody can just slow down a little. Like, (laughs) this isn't white supremacy is life or death, but you unlearning things and relearning is a lifelong journey and that's okay.
0: I love it. There's a lot of grace in that. So I think the word is don't binge binge. Brandy's podcast, just consume it thoughtfully. Um, So that's a word to all of us because I definitely am (laughs) a binge listener. Um, (laughs) So yes, that's so good. Thank you. Thank you for that. That call to action, which involves rest, right? Which is what we're learning that, Mm -hmm. especially for people of color, especially for darker skinned people of color who phenotypically are more obviously other than whiteness yeah, we got to be careful. we got to take care of ourselves. And we've got to let Jesus, right, our brown, multi-ethnic, Middle Eastern Savior, we've got to let him take care of us. So that is a word. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I will mull on that. We'll go to a quick break, and then we'll be back with Brandy in just a second. Today's episode is sponsored by Zondervan Reflective and Jamar Tisby's newest book, How to Fight Racism, Courageous Christianity, and a Journey Towards Racial Justice. This powerful book empowers conversation and next steps for all of us. Jamar is the CEO of The Witness, Inc., an author, speaker, podcast host, and a dear friend of the Mixed Blessing Podcast. Go to HowToFightRacism.com to learn more. That's H-O-W-T-O-F-I-G-H-T-R-A-C-I-S-M.com to order your copy today. We are back with Brandy Miller, one of my coworkers and friends, someone who has ministered to me, someone who is really pushing into the solidarity of and the question of how do we decenter whiteness when we have white ethnicity, when we have white culture, when we are surrounded by it, when it is the air we breathe. So I love this perspective of here is one woman's journey to, to figuring out her ethnicity in a way that is powerful and pushes back on principalities and powers um, and invites us to come along for the journey. So thank you, Brandy. I think you kind of summed up one of the questions I tend to ask, which is, what is one thing you wish people knew um, or acted on as they see you in your ethnicity in terms of the podcast, right? In terms of please enjoy and be refreshed and challenged by the Reclaiming My Theology podcast, but be kind to yourself. Um, so I think that was good. Is there any other thing that you, as Brandy, this wonderful black woman in ministry and with a wicked sense of humor and um a heart for the marginalized, is there anything you would love to just throw out there of, hey, please see me in this?
1: I mean, I think a lot of people because of the work, I do think that I'm a very intense person, which is true. <laughs> like I think there's a certain degree to which I'm a very intense person, but I also think that that is rooted in anti-blackness in a lot of ways that assumes that Black people need to be one of two things, either like hard and cold and serious and like about the cause, like Hollywood Black. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that for me, there's so much um, fluidity of what Black identity looks like. And so for me, I think as a Black person who grew up in the Northwest, I have mad white hobbies. I played the clarinet classically for 12 years. I played disc golf for fun. I can guide a river rafting boat. Like I've got a lot of things going in that regard. And I think that I would want my own experience of intensity to not overshadow my own humanity, because I think black people, because of perceptions of the civil rights movement and enslavement and all the trauma we've experienced, rob us rob us of our ability, not even our ability, rob us of a perception mm-hmm. of black people that allows us just to be human. And so I think that would feel important to me that that black folks wouldn't just be known by our intensity or eloquence, but by our joy and expressions of interests and things beyond just the freedom of our race
0: sure sure that reminds me of there's a a meme again wow i consume a lot of <laughs> a lot of pop culture through the internet um of of white folks saying um we want you to protest peacefully and then right copernic kneels and they're like no not like that this almost building on this idea of I'm um, I'm not quite, for me, I'm not quite tight enough, but I'm not quite wide enough. Like you're not quite angry enough, Brandy, but you're also not quite palatable enough. Like too much in one area, too much in another. So I love that that segue to, to your hobbies, your very um, PNW hobbies. What are some other fun things about you? You know, what do you Dreaming of. Obviously, you're creating this podcast, you're creating some other things. Are there any other random things that are a fun part
1: of who you are? Well, as the podcast is concerned, one of the things that I love, I love scripture and I have always loved scripture. I love interpreting scripture and learning different means of doing so. And so, in this next year, in 2021, we're going to be launching Reclaiming My Theology from Sunday School, where we do hey. felt board retellings of Bible stories to go hey, this is how this has been told in like your children's Bible, but maybe this is actually what's happening in the scriptures. So allowing our adult or growing minds actually have a growing sense of the scriptures so that God wouldn't become God, that the God that we follow wouldn't stay the same God that we follow when we're six, but that would actually be like a 30 year old woman understanding of God. And so we're going to be doing some expansive theological work, which is really fun, um, which tells you what I think is fun. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm a competitive weightlifter, so I'm doing some weightlifting and some other projects, but we have a Lent resource coming out soon. We just did an Advent one, so I'm getting a lot of joy out of writing devotionals and doing some reflection in that regard. And I'm also doing a lot of cooking. I uh, yes. got a sous vide recently, yes. so I'm making a lot of food in my sous vide.
0: I love it. My husband made a bootleg sous vide out of styrofoam, um, and it worked. It was quite impressive, but then, but then we got the Instant Pot. And so, yeah, he's he's also big into cooking. I love it. I love how it ties into setting that table and offering food and ourselves to people. It it also makes me chuckle that, like you said, this is what I do for fun, but what a sweet spot, right? To enjoy creating these resources. And yeah, can Mm -hmm. we talk about jail? Can we talk about Rahab? Can we talk about Tamar the ways that they have been taught Mm -hmm. to us uh, Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, the big ones like David and Goliath, but man, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm pumped. I'm pumped for these discussions. Well, awesome. How can folks contact and interact with you? Website, of course, you've got the podcast, subscribe, rate and review. What else can we do Mm -hmm. to find you and be blessed by you and interact with you?
1: I mean, that's generally it at reclaimingmytheology.com the podcast is everywhere where you can find podcasts. We have a Patreon if people want to support the work that I'm doing that way. And then the rest of my work on Twitter and Instagram is um, Brandy Nico, B-R-A-N-D-I-N-I-C-O. And that's more of my um, personal musings on things that end up usually becoming worked content for the podcast or just food that I'm making, weights that I'm lifting, nature that I'm seeing, podcasts that I'm listening to, snowboards that I'm falling off of, (laughs) you know, things (laughs) like
0: that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will be sure to put those links in the show notes Granny. Thank you. This has been a fun conversation and I loved getting a chance to be able to see more of you. Um, some things I knew, I knew about your cooking, but I don't think I knew about your professional, awesome weightlifting. So thank you for sharing yourself. And I look forward to seeing you, um, hopefully around conferences and definitely around the interwebs. And I hope you have a wonderful day and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. such an important conversation. Thank you to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship's Creative Labs and especially our producer, sound engineer, and worker of technical magic, Kyle Lee. Friends and family, thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share so that we can keep building this community. And join us in two weeks for our next guest, Jennifer Clark. Jennifer is, as her Twitter bio says, capable, competent, creative, even as she warns, careful, my tweets are my own. So we'll see you then for the Crane and Clark show here at the Multiethnic Tape.